Hi everybody, welcome back. It's your girls Leanne and Charlotte. Well, I'm back. Charlotte took over last week, which we'll talk about in a minute. But uh, first, we'd like to open up this episode by firstly dedicating it to our dear friend, Simon Thompson, who passed away at the age of 31 on the 27th of June. Simon, as everybody knows, was a dear, dear friend to me and to many others in the cancer community. Me and Simon often spoke at the same events and we were dear, dear friends. She kept me sane as much as I may have kept her sane as well, but she kept me probably more sane when things got difficult, when we were talking about our truths um, so that we could equally spread awareness of cancer amongst our communities. Hers for her Asian community and mine for the black community. And we'd often end up at the same events. We'd often talk on the same panels and we'd be singing from the same hymn sheet. And we just have lost somebody that meant so much to us. And we just couldn't begin this episode today without mentioning her and passing on our best wishes um, on behalf of the Black Women Rising Project, on behalf of the cancer community, to her family and friends who we know are just missing her and are trying to navigate their grief at this horrific time. So our thoughts are with them and our thoughts are with the cancer community. We love you, Sai, and we will forever continue the work in your memory. That was beautiful. And you know, one thing I just want to say that I loved, it's a quality that both of you had, is that you both never sugarcoated nothing. Mm. You know, and you come with the more truth, and it's something I really loved and appreciated about Simon. Yeah, that's what I loved, and that's why me and her worked really well together, is because we both don't beat around the bush. You know, we just say it as it is. There's no jargon, there's no grey area. We just say it as it is, regardless of what people think. And it's often led us to, into trouble. <laughs> Uh, but you know we spoke our truth and she kept me going you know she'd constantly text me ignore the haters ignore this ignore that whenever I was feeling away and was so encouraging and um, I'll miss that yeah and I'm glad the last words that we both said to each other was I love you so yeah so you took over last week and you done your episode which has obviously gone down a storm. How do you feel? Oh my gosh, I was so nervous, you know. But um, mm. yeah, it was really good. It was really refreshing. It was a new experience. And mm. yeah, I'm just grateful that you let me, you know, take the lead on that one. Well, you did an amazing job and the feedback as always has been amazing. You know, people love you, Charlotte, and you need to, you know, make sure that you just use that love and use you know the feedback that you're getting to do more stuff like this you could be the leader of your own podcast because your world is a completely different world than everyone else's and actually getting more people on to talk about your own experiences with that could help aid so many other people as as well as yourself so I hope that you know for me personally you know what I'm like I set these things up and then I exit (laughs) (laughs) too many other things to do right now so uh, you could be looking at a full-time host in Charlotte, guys. Oh, <laughs> so today's episode, guys, um, we thought we'd bring you an episode about um, careers and work. Because amongst just the normal human beings that we have um, and the everyday life, 
you know, cancer affects so many people in different ways. I've run a business for 20 years and I've had a really active working life. And actually the first thing that <laughs> when I got told I had cancer, the first question I asked was, so I'm going to have to take time off work <laughs> <laughs> because I love what I do. So, and then, you know, and I've gone back to work since and it's brought me nothing but joy. And actually I think my experience with cancer has enhanced my working life and brought it so much joy. So I just think it's great episodes to kind of shine the light on some other career ladies, two ladies that are close to us in the community because of what they've also gone through, but two women that we really, really look up to. Um, and I know that they bring a wealth of joy for the network of women, cancer or no cancer, that they're around. And we really, really look forward to welcoming them, them in the show. But Charlotte, what was it like for you kind of going back to work after cancer or did cancer sort of change your direction? I know you had cancer at 17, I know, yeah. but you were a very career-minded girl. So tell us. Yeah, so I've always been someone who's had to work for myself and I've always kind of wanted to do that, but I was kind of forced to do it after like my whole experience because a nine to five for me just wasn't suitable to be on my rehabilitation and the brain fog and all of that. It would have been too much. So for me, it's just about building little businesses and really just trying to, yeah, expand in what I know. Yeah, exactly. And obviously now with your business that you've created, you're ready to roll out quite a few programs, holistic stuff, aren't you? Yeah. So I built some different um, courses and stuff like that. Some of it's to do with people with disabilities. Some of it's to do with like health. And um, we're just going for adversity in general. Mm -hmm. I love kind of just helping people in a holistic vibe with like mindset, nutrition, all these different things and seeing how they can get the best out of their life. Exactly. Guys, I've actually signed up to one of Charlotte's courses, nutrition. <laughs> <laughs> And I laugh because everyone knows me. I love my food. So um, it's going to be interesting. And uh, I've actually been preparing it for this week. I'm actually trying to cut out some of the bad things that I eat. And um, I've actually been trying to prepare for my first consultation and my first session. So I'll let you know. It's a six-week course that I've signed <laughs> up to do. So I'll let you know how it goes after we've done the course. Right. Are we ready to welcome in the ladies? Yes. So first of all, I'd like to introduce our first guest, which is Claudine Reed, MBE. Um, and she is not only a wife and mother, but she's also a business psychologist, an author and leadership coach. And she's been co-directing her award-winning social enterprise for 20 years. Woohoo! <laughs> and then next up, we have Toral Shah, who's a nutritional scientist, functional medicine practitioner, and a writer and consultant and a presenter, by the way, because you're always <laughs> presenting things and, you know. So um, thank you for coming on the show, ladies. Thank you so much. Thank you for having us. No, it's an absolute pleasure bringing you on tonight. And the best thing to do is just get started with your career journeys. So Claudine, we're going to come on to you first. Please tell us about your amazing career. Gosh, you know, when you put it like that, Leanne, it, I'm just a normal girl doing stuff that I love. I started my journey wanting to be a teacher. And I remember, I think I was doing my business degree and I was studying, doing part of my degree in Europe. And by the time I got back, I said to my friend, look, I need to find a job. But because I've been away, obviously I haven't got a job. So find me a job. He said to me, okay, no problem. Go work for my brother. I went to work for my friend's brother. He ended up proposing to me. We got married and 25 years later, <laughs> 
So when you say talk about my career, my business journey, it was a little bit, sometimes I feel it just wasn't real, right? It feels like a fairy tale. And then halfway through, um, probably about three or four years in, I like had this identity crisis because I was supposed to be a teacher. Yeah. And now I'm running this business because I've married Patrick, right? <laughs> and so I decided, right, I had this identity crisis. So I left the business. I went to go and work in a school. I was going to go and study to be a teacher. And I remember one year to the day, I went to see the head teacher and I asked him, you know, could I reduce my days so that I could go back to study and get my QTS, my teacher training um, qualification? And he said, no. And now you have to understand, I'm the eldest of my siblings. I'm not really used to having people tell me no <laughs> as it relates to me and my personal development. And when he told me no in that moment, I could almost feel everything within me say, this is it, your time is up. You're not supposed to be here forever. So I said to him, okay, thank you, I'm leaving. And I left. And he said to me, what are you going to do? I said, well, that's my problem, not yours. Mm. So I left and I went back to my business. So when people ask me about my career, that was it. That, it was in that moment that I really knew that I'm supposed to be a businesswoman <laughs> and not a teacher. <laughs> so from there, I went back to my business. Um, all of my staff told me that I had changed, but I knew this. And I really believe that stay, spending that one year in education caused me to grow caused me to find out a bit more about myself because up until then I'm living this fairy tale right oh he loves me we've got married we've got the wonderful business but now I'm going back as this brand new person I've been working with these challenging group of boys if they don't stay with me they're going to get excluded I don't want them to get excluded whilst they're in my care so I went back to my my business with a completely different mindset a different level of confidence and it was from that moment that I could really say that's when I really started to run the business. That's when I really yeah. kind of got immersed into everything to do with social enterprise. I started advising government. I started to advise Department of Works and Pensions, Department for Trade and Industry. I got called in to, to take over a school. I remember when they called me and they said, oh, can you take over this school? I'm like, I've never run a school before in my life. They said, yeah, we've heard about you and the governing body has fallen to pieces. We need you to bring it back together. I'm like, oh. Wow. Have a conversation, make some calls. And so the career journey has been peppered with highs and lows and it's been great. And I think when I think about it, I love what it's allowed me to do in the process, but more importantly, what it's allowed me to become in that process. Because I know you do so many things. What is the business in itself? So we specialise in a couple of areas, care yeah. services. Yeah. <laughs> For so older yeah. people who are housebound and physically frail. Yeah. So we have um, contracts with different uh, local authorities and different homes yeah. to provide care for their residents. So their residents could be children, could be um, old age pensioners, could be people with mental health issues, could be a mother and baby unit. We also focus on um, personal development and training. That's the thing that I really, really, really love, personal development and training. So when you say that I'm a business psychologist, that's the, that's the bit that yeah. I really yeah. specialising in the yeah. most as well as advisory stuff with government and so on but the bulk of my work is around providing care services for older people housebound and physically frail and also for children wow I know you do loads of other things as well because there's so many talks and things that I see you do and everything but we're going to come on to that because I like to talk yeah. about that I've got a few questions for you about that Toral tell us about yours and how you got into all of this 
nutrition stuff and like, I'm always watching your talks and everything. Tell me, how did you get started? So, I mean, firstly, it's so great that we're having this conversation because I hadn't really thought about my journey for yeah. such a long time. And today I had a, stu- a medical student who'd emailed me a couple of weeks ago, um, a really lovely girl called Chinue, and we and I actually talked about my story and I was like, oh, wow, I've come really far and I hadn't realised that. So it's really great we're having the conversation today on the, on the same day. But for me, I mean, I read a book when I was 11 years old about a, a cancer surgeon. I decided, oh, I'm going to go and sort cancer out when I was 11. <laughs> Obviously, you don't bugger all when you're 11. You just don't know. So eventually, I trot off to medical school. No idea what this is going to entail. And I found it really hard. I found it really tough um, in lots of ways, just because I think it's so different from school. You're kind of, you know, having to learn things yourself, but that pastoral care is not there. And then my mum had breast cancer. So when my mum had breast cancer, I, I started to think, huh, okay, we're doing this oncology. And I wanted to be an oncologist because I'd read this book. And I was like, yeah, I thought, okay, that sounds like a cool job. Yeah, curing cancer. Yes, let's do that. Obviously knew nothing about it. And then mum had breast cancer and we were dealing with oncologists week in, week out, week in, week out with her you know, chemo and stuff. And I realized it was a horrible job. But I also realized, why are we not helping mum with her lifestyle and her nutrition and all this stuff? And I was like, that's weird because I knew there was stuff coming up. Yeah, this is back in 1999, so quite a long time ago. So I started to look at all the research and stuff, because I was at university at the time, and I think, well, there is research, but why we, no, Why does everyone think that food's got nothing to do with them, and, you know, lifestyle and stress and all these things? So I'd go every week with my mum to the oncologist, with, I'd dig out these obscure journal papers. <laughs> he just hated me, poor man. Poor of course man. he did. <laughs> yeah, he did, because he thought I was annoying. And then, um, you know, I realised, A, I didn't know if I wanted to do be in medicine anymore and then I kind of worked in uh, you know I've fish off to mum's experience I did I ended up doing my intercalated degree in cell biology and working in cancer research and then I went traveling came back you know did something else and then I realized that I was still really passionate about nutrition so rather than going back to medicine I um I did a master's in nutritional medicine because I really thought why we can help people with all these different diseases like all of our community all of our BAME community, they have problems with heart disease, cancer, diabetes, but we know that lifestyle can make a difference. So why are we not doing anything about this? So when did a master's, everyone thought I was crazy. The master's was two years. The last module, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. But I already knew that I wanted a business that kind of involved food, nutrition, and making a difference to people with disease. So that's where the idea was born. And it's been a really long, weird journey because people did not understand in 2006 about nutrition they didn't get it they just thought it was like I was a mental case basically so I you know it continued even after my breast cancer and stuff I basically used to try and use like cooking classes and food and just to really try and educate people about nutrition no one really was that interested apart from my mum to be fair my mum was amazing um and so like I had to like almost wait for the world to catch up with me. It was only literally like 10 years later that oh, the world yeah. caught up with me like in the last five years and they got it. And I was doing healthy meals and I was trying to think, how can I educate people? I tried so many different things. And now obviously I, um, I do see patients, but I also do a lot of consulting for food and health brands to help them. Like I write a lot of their sort of science and their nutrition. And it's been such a roundabout journey, but now I finally have. And I was saying to this girl, Chinma, they finally am where I want to be. And I, I have a real mixture of I see patients, I consult for loads of food health brands, but it's been a long old journey. You know, people just didn't really get it. And now everyone's all about food and lifestyle and, yeah. you know, how all that makes a difference to people's health. And I've had breast cancer twice now, and I know that it makes a difference. So, 
you know, sometimes I'm, I'm a bit better than other times, but I think I, you can just see how you can make a difference to supporting people. If, at least if they feel like they've got something that they can control or they can manage, mm -hmm. they feel a bit better. But we also know from the scientific evidence and research that it will help them with their recovery, help prevent recurrence, all of these things. And obviously, you know, we all have genetic um, changes and we don't know what's going to happen, but you know, so some people it won't work, but I just think it gives us people an element of things that they can do themselves. Yeah, um, yeah. It's really like food. And so like having good food all day, like we just had a really nice dinner. My friend came around who's in my bubble and we've had a nice meal of just like loads of like lovely vegetables. All the dietary advice that's given in hospitals, especially if you have like diabetes patients or cancer patients, it's very much for Caucasian people and not for our communities. And for me, I've been working with diabetes since 2004. And like, it's about tailoring the advice for our food and our people where food is so much more than like fuel. It's celebration, it's family time, it's all these other things. You're never given that kind of advice around your community, isn't it? Yeah, that's why I love the stuff that you do. So ladies, look, and you've touched on it there, Toral, about, you know, your, your cancer diagnosis and stuff. And and obviously this is a cancer show, you know, as much as people tell us it's other, we talk about so many other things, which of course we do because we're humans. Tell us a bit more about your own cancer journey, because I was telling Charlotte just before the show we started today about my own, you know, I've been running my dance classes. By that time it was 15 years, you know, and then I got hit with a cancer diagnosis. And I remember the first question I asked when they said, do you have any questions? And I said, would I have to take time off work? <laughs> that was my first question. You know, how terrible is that? Claudine, like, please tell us about your cancer diagnosis and... Do you know, I think it, the whole thing, you know, felt like I was in a movie that I just didn't want to be in. I felt like I had been given this part of life. I'm like, I don't want to do this. I've got so much to do. I had discharge from my breasts, which I just ignored because I didn't associate breast cancer with discharge. I associated breast cancer with lumps. That's all I knew, right? I didn't know. So I'm thinking, I'm not in any pain, but every now and again, I have this discharge. Ah, oh, forget it. And then when I think I remember about it, it's not there anymore. So I don't need to do anything about it. And I categorically remember in August last year, August 2019, I was going on holiday, going to Ethiopia and to South Africa. And I thought, well, there's no point going to the doctors because I'm not going to change my holiday plans. And anyway, there's nothing. It's just this discharge anyway. Went on holiday, no discharge, came back, everything was fine. And then on the 19th of September, my whole life went from 100 miles an hour to like this out of body experience. I remember I was in the shower, I felt this lump like, oh my gosh, right, that's it. Got out of the shower, phoned the doctor. He told me to come in straight away. They put me on the two WW, the two week wait. And by the following week, which is the 26th of September, I'm now having biopsies done. In between that day is my birthday, the 24th of September. So I'm kind of trying to have some level of normality but not really because over my head is this thing and I know what they're going to tell me. I, I know this. I've never felt a lump in my breast before. I know this. And the additional sort of what compounds my issue is that my father passed away. My dad passed away in 2014 of pancreatic cancer. So now I'm going back to the same hospital. I'm sitting in the same room. I'm seeing the same doctors walking around. So in my head, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, 
I remember when I went with my dad to get his um, his diagnosis, and you know, they were the the team there were absolutely fantastic, and they just said, you know, I'm sorry, it's terminal, and this is what you have to do next. So I'm sitting in that room going to get my diagnosis. And Patrick's there, right? He's holding my hand. Everything's going to be okay. I'm like, stop telling me that it's going to be okay. We go into the room and she, you know, the nurse, she, she was absolutely fantastic. You know, Mrs. Reader's situation. And in one breath, she said to me, you've got breast cancer and this is your treatment plan. So all I heard was treatment plan. So I'm like, oh, it's all right then. I can, I can get on with my life because I went to the hospital thinking that they were going to tell me this is terminal. And because I've not heard the word terminal in my head, I can deal with that. If you're talking to me about treatment, that's okay. Because I'm that, I'm that left brain person, yeah. right? Everything's got to be step one, step two, step three. And as long as it's like that, I can manage. And now you've told me that it's treatable. So what I didn't bargain for was the emotional drain and the mental st- strain that I've now got to navigate because in my head at that moment I'm thinking yeah this is okay it's not terminal it's treatable they're gonna give and I still don't even understand anything about um chemotherapy because my dad didn't have that he opted look if it's terminal I'm not doing it just let me live my life and that 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 was his choice so I'm navigating this space and it was just ever so hard. I remember leaving the hospital on this particular day and I went there feeling really quite upbeat, you know, and now I'm leaving. I'm literally holding Patrick's hand and I'm also holding onto the walls because I think my legs are going to collapse. I think I'm going to give way and like, I couldn't yeah. even make it out to the hospital, yeah. out to the car. I had to stop like, I need to sit down. You need to get me to the chapel. I just need to get to the chapel. Let me sit there. And I remember just going into the chapel in the hospital and I just sat and like, I can't believe this is my life. Like I'm in this movie. I don't want this part. Take me out now. Like it's not going to work like that. And so I slowly just had to come to terms with where I am. And like you, you know, Leanne, I run a business. I have just under a hundred staff working in my company. And, you know, I think all things happen for a reason. At the beginning of the year, I had um, employed the services of a performance coach. And she was kind of helping me to take a more hands-off approach from my business. So I was supposed to do this because I was going to go and work in the Caribbean, not take time off because I've now got a cancer diagnosis and got to have, you know, time away from my business. So when I think back the timing of my performance coach was actually really quite, quite helpful because it allowed me to be me. I'm not used to taking a back seat. That's just not my life, right? I'm courageous Claudine. I'm in charge of most things that I, that I have to do. Um, I've got responsibility for. And so it gave me time to search myself and manage my own emotions and manage my mental health and argue with the doctors about having chemotherapy and that was the other thing they gave me the diagnosis and said right we can start your chemotherapy in seven days like whoa that's too much no 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 no. I don't even know if I want chemotherapy yeah so I kind of asked them for a second opinion yeah um, which bought me more time and in that request I asked them to transfer me to another hospital because I just couldn't keep on coming back to the same hospital where my dad you know passed away absolutely um, and so they, they did the transfer for me. And then by the time I arrived, so now I've kind of bought myself about three or four weeks because of the transfers and whatever needs to happen. 
And in that time, they're still trying to convince me that I need to do chemotherapy. And I'm like, I've read all these books and I just don't want to do it. It's not the option for me. Mm-hmm. So by the time I get the transfer, they're now saying to me, look, we don't normally like to disagree with the doctors, but because the lump was seven centimeters and I don't have big boobs, right? I'm a B cup. So he says, even if it shrinks, I'm still going to have to have a mastectomy. So the option was go for a straight mastectomy and then we do chemo. Well, as soon as he said that, I'm like, oh, chemo's out the window, right? Let's do the mastectomy. Yeah. I'm going to lose a breast. And again, I'm not ready for the mental yeah. strain and the emotional strain of what that means. I've just gone solution, solution, solution. I've got a whole life ahead of me. And if we've got to get rid of the cancer, let's get rid of it. And I'll deal with all the other stuff afterwards. Um, and and, and that, was, that was the journey. I'm six months after surgery immediately after surgery they wanted me to start chemo and I just decided you know it just doesn't sit well with me yeah I'm not doing it yeah and, and again I'm buying myself time yeah. I asked to see every surgeon every doctor yeah. every book that I could possibly do and I just opted not to then the radiotherapist said I didn't need it and so now I'm home I have a therapist who I speak to on a weekly basis yeah monthly basis just to kind of help me get to grips with life but now we're experiencing this global pandemic so life isn't even real anymore i'm living on my own terms yeah doing what i want to do but that's partly because of covid which isn't really real so the main kind of crux of the journey that i'm managing right now is just the mental pressure and that thing at the back of your head yeah i think toral you said it you know you've had um cancer twice so at the back of my head, I know that I don't have cancer anymore, but could this come back? And exactly. if it does, what does that mean? Yeah, exactly. What I love about what you've spoken about, and this is something that a lot of people shy away from, is just that control of your own choice. Like, I know that's the yeah. choice that you made, because um, I follow your journey and stuff, so I know that's the choice that you made. And I think that's the thing with all of this cancer stuff. Everyone has a choice and everyone has a choice to do what they want to do. And I think sometimes we can get bogged down with being told what is best for us. And that's fine. You know, some people take it, some people don't. I feel like there needs to be no judgment of what people choose for themselves. And if that's what you choose, that's what you choose. And, And I think we've made it very clear, haven't we, Charlotte, on this show many, many times you know, we've had it where, you know, some people are told don't take the drugs because of this, 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 this reason. Mm-hmm. No, don't listen to those people. If you choose not to take the drugs because it's your choice, that's absolutely fine. But don't begrudge another person because they choose to do that and vice versa, you know. And, um, you know, and, and I completely respect that, Claudine. And I, and I love, you've been honest about that, you know, because that's another thing. A lot of people are not honest, you know, so I, I really respect that highly. Do you know, I think when, when I found out, so when they gave me the diagnosis, I think one of the first people I went to see mm-hmm. was my solicitor. <laughs> he said to me, why are you here? And I said, because I don't know if I'm going to be alive in the next year and I need to make sure I've sorted out my affairs. And he said to me, you know, I don't want to see you, but I understand why you're here. And I'm like, well, truth be told, John, I don't really want to see you <laughs> either. <laughs> but we had, you know, a candid conversation And I think that was one of the things because I felt settled in my mind that I've done whatever I need to do. And I think that's the responsible thing. And I remember when my dad was, you know, coming to the last, well, when he found out that he was terminal, that he didn't have a will at the time. So like, Claudine, you know, go sort my will out. And I'll never forget the day that, you know, I met the solicitor and my dad had to sign it off. It was almost like 
when I told him, right, it's all signed and lodged and everything's done, it was almost like I have this picture in my head of him just having this sigh of relief, almost like when it's time, I'm going to go in peace knowing that all my stuff's sorted out. So now it comes to me, I almost embodied the same thing that my dad has done, even though the doctors have told me this is a terminal, but I still don't, it's not that I don't believe them, I do, but it's there and you just don't know what's going to happen. And so that for me was important that I get myself together for as much as I have no control. And that, that's a problem for me. I think the lack of control was more of the problem of people telling me what to do. I'm not used to people telling me what to do. It's my life. I manage my diary myself. I don't have a PA. I decide what's important to me. And now I've got to do this. So I remember when, <laughs> when they were booking me in for surgery, the nurse called me and she said, okay, we've got an opening on um, the 6th of December. So I said to her, oh, let me just check my diary. Like, oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> As the words came out of my mouth, I'm like, Claudine, what do you think you're doing? And I remember she had this stern voice and she said to me, Mrs. Reed, it does not work like that. Like, oh my gosh. Like, I know it doesn't, but I'm so used to being in control of my time. And now I've got to do what you're telling me. I mean, of course, I, whatever I've got yeah. in today, I am going to change it. Yeah. But I had to learn to deal with not being in control yeah. of my yeah. life. That was hard. That's hard, especially when you've been in control of, you know, your decisions and everything else like that. Now, that's interesting. Thank you, Claudine. Toral, tell us about yours, because obviously you've had breast cancer twice, like my mum. So how far were they apart? So um, the first time I was 29 and the second time I was um, 41. Yeah. Um, so what I do want to say to Claudia is, A, how much of her story resonates with me. And also, Claudine, I, you do stop worrying about it coming back. Like, I really didn't think it would come back. So when it did come out, I was very surprised. Because also, also um, because there was a 12 and a half year gap, which is unusual. So normally, if you're going to have a recurrence, you have it within the first five years. And, you know, people know, and then you, you know, do the thing. So for me, it was a long time. And to be fair, it's not that I forgot about it because you never forget because your body's just different. But, but it, was, it wasn't at the back of my mind thinking, oh, it's coming back. I just wasn't worrying about it genuinely. So just to kind of tell you about the first time. So I was doing my master's in nutritional medicine. My mum had had breast cancer. My aunt had breast cancer, my mum's sister. But about 10 of my mum's cousins had breast cancer. So we definitely had something in our family. But I didn't expect to having to deal with it until I was like in my 40s or 50s or 60s or you know whatever so we'd been on holiday and I was really slim then and I was moisturizing we'd been on holiday and I was really tanned so I was like you know when you're a bit more careful when you've been on holiday you got tanned and I felt this thing and like after a couple of weeks I showed my mom I was like oh yeah. my I can feel this lump she's like oh let's keep an eye on it you know let's just wait for your period let's you know yeah and then um, I, I, I was living at home with my parents then because I was doing my master's and um, she's like, you know, let's go to the GP. But my GP is a really close family friend. And he said, listen, I'm retiring next week. It's going to be a new female GP next week. Why don't you show her? So I was like, fine, I'll show you the new female GP. Thinking in a way, I don't want to show you my boobs anyway, because you're like my uncle and that's weird. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't want you to see my boobs. Yeah. Um, so eventually this new female GP turns up and we, we go there, but she's like so saying, yes, yes, yes. Oh, I'll refer you to eat weight, blah, blah, blah. And actually didn't believe me. I didn't realize this until later. I said, 
like literally nothing happened. So two weeks, we're fine waiting. Three weeks, four weeks, five weeks, six, and like literally to the point where my mom's like, right, my mom works in the hospital, by the way, at Maiden Croydon. And so she's like, right, let's, let me go and talk to my like radiology team. My mom's a radiographer. So let me go and talk to them and find out what's happening. And eventually like nothing was happening. And so my mom managed, to, because she's so friends with all these people, managed to get, this is in the old days, you can't do this now. Um, managed to get me an appointment to have a scan and a you know biopsy and so off I went and the guy said oh do you mind if I take a biopsy I'm like yeah and at that moment I knew I was lying there I thought yeah. shit and yeah. then off you know off I went it was my best friend's 30th birthday we went out for a really nice lunch and I was like shit I've got to go now she said why I said oh well I've got this appointment at the hospital she's like why I said oh well I've got this thing you know I'll be fine I'll, I'm just gonna go so off I went rushed off from lunch and like he and I walked into that room and it was a my mum's surgeon so I thought hang on a second and look left as my mum's breast cancer and I thought oh dear this is not looking good they told me oh you've got breast cancer these are the options and I think I kind of like Claudine went into that okay what can we do about it you know the left promo okay what's the plan what's the plan what's the plan not the emotional aspect mm-hmm. and no one came with me because my mom was busy and like I just did it and then I rang my aunt and she works at the hospital too I said can you just come up here please so she came and I told her that I told my dad I was like terrified of telling my mom because I knew that for her that would be so emotional and so hard because she knew what it felt like so eventually told my mom and then you know I had a lumpectomy and they realized that the tumor was way bigger and then they thought and that's when like Claudina went and had all these second opinions because I did not want a mastectomy mm-hmm. I was absolutely like I liked my figure. I was 29 years old. The last thing I wanted to do was like lose a breast. So we got all these different second opinions. And again, like Claudine, I moved to a different hospital. I moved to the Royal Marsden and ended up with this really fantastic team. But I was terrified emotionally of having this mastectomy and losing my breast. I didn't know what it was going to be like and I didn't know what was going to happen. And um, eventually they agreed because I was finding it so hard emotionally to postpone it for um, four weeks, I think. And I finished the last module of my master's. I went and had a mini a holiday. I went to my cousin's wedding in Canada. She's like one of the closest people in, in the world to me. Came back and was like, right, okay, now I'm ready to do this. So did this. And it was, you know, we'd had a plan of what we're going to do reconstruction wise. And, you know, and, and I woke up and they hadn't done what they did because they, they went in and they're like, oh, well, the tumor was even bigger than we thought it was going to oh be. It was like 16 centimeters by nine centimeters. It was what? 16 centimeters by nine it was like my whole boob it was ginormous um and most of it was dcis some of it was stage one cancer but like you know we'd caught it really early but um i still had to lose that and it was hard and again like i wasn't very keen on chemotherapy and all the other stuff but luckily they you know they have this amazing like um, program that they use to put all the numbers in they're like you know what we can leave it but you need to take tamoxifen so tamoxifen is an estrogen blocker and again, I was really struggling with that because I was just worried about my sexuality. I was worried about so many things. And I did take it and I ended up having really severe side effects, like so severe that I had basically I had vaginal dermatitis, which was awful. I couldn't walk. I couldn't even walk. So I stopped it very quickly. And then I kind of got used to it. I got used to it like that had breast cancer. I had used to it not having hormone drugs. I was like, you know, I'll be fine. And for many years I was fine. And then back in 2018, I'd had a, again, I'd had a really horrible breakup early in the year and my scar from my mastectomy just felt weird and I couldn't explain why and I went and when I showed my physiotherapist she's like you're right it feels weird and she couldn't explain why she's like well just tell them when you go so I said okay fine so I went and um 
they were like, oh, no, no, it'll be fine. I was like, no, you need to like investigate this. And again, I had to really push to be like scan and like, they did ultra, we can't see it. I said, listen, there's something there. You need to do it. You need to do an MRI. So they did an MRI and then they finally found it. And I had another little tumor. It was, uh, it ended up being only like, I think 1.6, you know, centimeters, a small one. But then it became like, what do we do next? And it was again, like, do I do radiotherapy? Do I have another operation where we remove the mastectomy breast because it was in the skin? What do we do? And it's been, I'd only just got used to what I had already, like with a kind of mastectomy and an implant, and I hadn't had any other kind of reconstruction. And like the thought of like doing that was quite tough. So we actually ended up just taking the lump out and I said, we'll see afterwards. I don't, right now, let's do the bare minimum. Mm-hmm. And then they were, they were, they couldn't decide between themselves and the hospital whether I needed what treatment was next. And it went on for months, like trying to figure and they were arguing between us. Do I need chemo? Did I need radiotherapy? Do I just need hormone treatment? Because it was small, it was not spreading anywhere. And it just, and it's been kind of ongoing ever since, actually. Interestingly, you know, you mentioned earlier that, you know, sadly we've had a very close friend pass away. And like, one thing I will say is, and I'm having therapy again, like Claudine is that for the first time ever, I don't have survivor's guilt, which I've always had every other time. And I also don't have that thing about, oh, what's going to happen to me? Is it going to come back? And is that what's going to happen? And I think that's been the real benefit of having that emotional and mental support. So physically, I don't, it's still an ongoing conversation. Like I'm having really bad side effects again with tamoxifen. I'm on and off all the time. Um, what's next for me? We, you know, we're still figuring out. And also COVID put a bit of a, stop to the what was going on um slowed things down the system down obviously but it's been a real journey i know that for my mom it was harder watching me have cancer than it was for her going through it almost mm. and i think that was tough i just didn't want my mom to have to go through it again like, I, that, like having that conversation i remember having that conversation with my brother and my sister-in-law and saying how are we going to tell mom uh and my cousin came to the appointment with me and i'm like how am i going to tell mom and that was the hardest um but, you know, here I am again, and I'm fine. Um, so, yeah, I, all I can say is you've got to know your own body more. And you also have to say yes or no to what you agree with. I, I work in the field. I'm a cancer nutritionist. And I think understanding how the body works and be able to say, look, this doesn't work for me. And there's too many side effects and you're not helping me has been, it's again, like Claudine said, that having control, it has helped me. Yeah. Similarities, really, both of you, really, with that. Um, and I know it's very, very true for Charlotte as well. You, you know, you were in a position at a very young age to take control of your treatment as well, weren't you, Charlotte? Yeah, definitely. And I think even like since everything I've gone through, um, control is a big part of my life. Because even when I couldn't walk, I couldn't talk. I was obsessed with just feeling to choose what clothes I had on my body because of that was the only thing that gave me a sense of control. So definitely been a big part of the journey yeah and that's the thing isn't it with cancer it takes so much from you that the little things that you can control they mean so much don't they um we've we've all done that and I know for example in my own journey you know I did choose to have chemo I, I took that and then when they said you know we want you to have radiotherapy I said no thanks I've done my part and that was my choice and when they looked me in the eye they said well there's nothing we can do you know because that's your choice and and we know that you know you've made that for the best of you so that was my control 
you know and and i a bit like what you said claudine i've you know looked that right in the face and, and took ownership of that you know but i totally get what you said and and, and that is the feeling for anybody when you've had a cancer diagnosis is, is the feeling the, the feeling of worrying that it's going to come back i think most people have felt that at some point but Toral's right it does get better you know and that's what i used to say that used to get me that that was one of the things i, I could measure having a sex, successful day was not having that at the back of my head because it was on my head all the time and then after a while you start saying oh i actually never thought about that today you know it, it does get easier you know and especially when we have sad stories around us and things like that i totally understand why people go through a cancer diagnosis and never associate themselves around people that have cancer again i get it because it's it's not nice you know and the cancer world is is full of lots of ups and downs but one of the things ladies which i really wanted to ask you because there's so many women we have that we work with and and stuff and obviously rebuilding yourself after you've lost a breast and after you've gone through treatment and you've put on weight, you're not yourself, you're navigating this kind of new normal. How did you get back into work? Because work is something that's huge for a lot of women. Again, it's that element of control and being able to kind of go back out there and put themselves out there. And so many women struggle with finding the comfortability, but also the confidence in going back to work. How did you guys do it? Claudine? I haven't actually gone back to work yet. <laughs> I had surgery in December. Yeah. And I one of the reasons I recall why I was telling the, the, the nurse who was going to book me in, because I had in my head that I was going to go on holiday, like Toral, right? I'm going to have this fabulous holiday, and then I'm going to come back and deal with whatever I've got to deal with. So I had surgery in December, then I went to Jamaica in March. Yeah. Whilst I was there, I was planning in my head, right, I'm going to go back to work, I'm going to go back to work. And let me just be clear, when I say go back to work, this is my business. It's my company. So because my service is regulated, I had to officially deregister as the manager. Now, to do that, you have to understand that to me, that's as good as giving your child away. That's yeah. my business that I've been building for the last 25 years. And now I have to put it in the hands of somebody else. But the thing is, I trust them. My team are amazing. They've been there, you know, one of them been there for 18 years. Others, they are fantastic at what they do. And if I really trust them, I've got to let them do this. Or I've got to fly somebody else in to do that. So whilst I was in Jamaica, I was planning to come back. And when we arrived back on Tuesday, by Monday, we had gone into lockdown. Oh, my God. Look at the chances. So it made me lead in a different way. I could still now... I don't have operational responsibility, but I could still guide the business at home and, and just do that in a different way. But it also gave me the opportunity to see me. I've been running this business for 25 years and now what more do I want out of life? I think I have so much more to give, but my business has been an integral part of my life. And so now I'm able to still have responsibility for the business but actually explore some other things that I'd like to do. Yeah. So, so, so I haven't actually gone back, mainly because of COVID. Um, but what I have been able to do is explore different opportunities and different elements of how I can grow the business. But I do that now from a sense of, just from a different type of leadership. And I remember, I think I came to one of the first Black Women Rising. Yeah. And there were two women in particular that I recall their stories that have just never, ever left me. 
Um, one of them, she was sharing with me that, you know, she had um, insurance cover. No, when she had her payout, she decided to go on holiday. And because she decided to go on holiday, she decided that she wasn't going to go back to work because yeah. her payout was enough to sustain her. Yeah, yeah. And in my head, I thought, oh, wow, that's really incredible. I didn't have health insurance because I wasn't supposed to get sick. I wasn't, it wasn't in my plan. Yeah. Um, and then I spoke to another lady at King's. They did this Black Women Breast Cancer Conference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I remember seeing a woman there and she said she had to go back to work. Mm-hmm. and had to be in the emphasis on the word had to. And I recall she said to me, on her fifth day of a phased return, she collapsed at work. Yeah. So in my head, all I could see was, this is my business, but I'm not going to allow it to kill me. So in effect, I haven't gone back to work. I've been doing what I want to do at home. So I've been running training programs. I've been training across South Africa, the Caribbean. Yeah. And the mental stress and pressure and emotional investment that I need to have in running the business, I don't actually have. And I'm not in a rush either. I'm taking my time because this is the first time in my life that I'm actually focused on me. Yeah, exactly. Every other time for the last 25 years since I've been running the business, I'm happily married. I've got two adult children. It's always been about them, about them, about them. The kids, my husband, my staff. Now I'm like, no, I'm not going to. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and there's zero guilt, zero yeah. guilt. Amazing. And what I love, you know, I see all your programs and training and everything go up, and you're just in your element, you know, with all the amazing things that you're doing. And I know people that have come onto your courses and things like that, and like all the stuff you're doing, like in terms of like mentorship and inspiring, like. I absolutely love, like, this is you in your element. Like, when I watch you and when I see it, I'm like, this is you now. <laughs> absolutely, I, I, I agree. And I think what has been really, just really quite, I think it's probably got to be the plan of God, right? That I've had this coach. And so she was telling me, you know, how to put these structures in place so that when I go away, everything still operates without me. But yeah. my plan yeah. to go away, I wanted to go and work in the Caribbean for 12 yeah. months. Yeah, it just didn't work out that way. Yeah. And to be honest, when I really think deeply about it, I don't think I would have gone to the Caribbean for 12 months. I wouldn't have done it. I'm, I'm, I know I wouldn't. But now I'm forced to. I'm forced to stand back and watch my team run my business. And they are doing a very good job. Amazing. Why, why would I go back and take that away from them? That doesn't, to me, that doesn't make progressive sense. No. So I'm in a space right now, six months after surgery, just still finding myself, finding where do I fit? What do I want to do? What makes me happy? What makes me not happy? Um, where do I want to be? Oh, I love that. Oh, I love that so much. It's so true. It's so true. Toral, what about you? I just, I'm just really amazed. Firstly, I just, I'm just hugely inspired by Claudine, but also the coincidences because I was on holiday and I came back on Sunday night and Monday night was lockdown. So it's just weird that we are both like doing this coincidences yeah, yeah so many coincidences I think for me so I had also just started my business um and I was 29 30 and I had a mastectomy and I started back I had a really big event five weeks after my mastectomy and I did it 
and everyone helped me my family all helped me my friends helped me my cousin because i could have done it like i physically was quite weak still because the, the way they did mastectomy in those days was quite brutal mm-hmm. um and yeah i so obviously i was probably working off about three or four weeks which probably didn't give me enough time but it did give me again a sense of control and a sense of having something for myself and it was on and off obviously for the next year and and i was doing things as i could do them at the same time i was having this cancer experience and it really got me thinking about you know what's next for me and like Claudine I actually entered into a program of real personal self-development five months after my mastectomy to really like what is next for me where how can I make a difference in this world and I was already doing the diabetes project with like BAME cancer people you know BAME people but I really want to do more and that's when I was like right I'm going to make a difference in the cancer world and because I just didn't feel like real life fulfilling necessarily I just felt like I wanted to do something which made much more of a difference to more people particularly people being through this whole cancer experience having watched my mom and my aunt and loads of people I know go through it and then obviously at that time there was no social media so I found it very hard because there are very few young people yeah I felt like I had to you know continue my career my business stuff because all my friends and things everyone I knew was just living their life and I just didn't want to be left behind Mm -hmm. Um, and maybe in hindsight I probably should have had some more time off to kind of really understand and and accept you know and, and kind of work on myself but you know it's good it kept me busy it kept me out of mischief and the great thing is that you know I've been able to develop my work and into supporting you know people with cancer and that's been just I think that's one of the best bits of my life really yeah, um very rewarding yeah. yeah so rewarding and you know I did a IG live the other night talking about cancer nutrition and you know kept it really simple I've had so many messages since and it's made such a it, it just kind of makes reminds you that what you're doing doesn't just go out into the ether it actually makes a difference to real people with real lives who are going through breast cancer or other cancers Absolutely. and for me that's so important and then also all the work we do around BAME people and like having equity and like making the charities like try and really think about these things like for me that's such an important part of my life and so yeah this time around I probably had I was probably working again again maybe three or four weeks because I just I like my work. I really love what I do. And it's really important to me. And I'm lucky because it's less physical now. And I, you know, a lot of it's just sitting at a laptop. But I think that emotional energy, I think it, it does take a lot of energy from you. And I, but I do have a really great therapist. And I think that's, again, like made a massive difference. Having somebody work through all the feelings I had and all the emotions and all the worries and the concerns. And also really what was underneath all of those too. And I think that's been really you know, working with somebody who really specializes in that and really understood different, the cultural aspects and stuff really made a difference. And I think that's the common denominator here as well is about therapy and how actually it's become such a part of our lives because I'm also in therapy once a week. I've always been in therapy since I was 27, but it was so funny. I was, I was out of it for a while and I'll never forget when I first started Black Women Rising, somebody approached me and they said, if you're going to be running this, you're going to need therapy. And I honestly thought to myself, oh, I don't need that. I've had it before. I'm fine. My God, I called her a month later. I was like, I can't do this. I need the support, you know? So if there's a message that we can say to anybody, is like therapy is helping us. Like all three of us are getting so much out of it. Charlotte, you've been, you've had a therapist as well, haven't you? Yeah. Like, you know, it's so helpful and, and it does. I've, I've gone, sort of tackling things with my therapist I thought I'd long forgotten about you know Mm -hmm. and it's just really kind of undoing a lot of 
um, there's a lot of unlearning. I, I've realized there's so much unlearning that has, has needed to be done. And it's been such a, a great process actually to go through. And very similar to you, Claudine, I kind of went through this process of just complete, you know, I've been doing this for so long. How do I do something very, very different, you know, and put me first and my needs at the forefront. And I think cancer does that to you, doesn't it? It does really put you into a space where you're like, okay, well, well, I need to come first. And that is regardless of whether you have, you know, people that depend on you, your needs do have to come first and what you want to do ultimately. So ladies, look, such inspiring journeys. I think the last two questions I have for you, what advice would you give anybody out there? Um, and I'm thinking about some of our ladies, you know, that are really struggling to, to kind of get back into work and find their confidence again in the, in the work. Some of them are saying, I don't even want to even go back into the same career again. What advice would you give to them? What would be your sort of sound advice? One of the things that's been really I'm finding it this hard. I wonder how my staff would feel if this was their if, if this if they were in a similar position as me so I've kind of taken a whole new approach to I mean we've always had flexible working practices but it was probably also coincidental that one of my team members was off long-term sick for a completely not cancer related um, situation but just being able to have a conversation so so for your for your listeners Leanne who may be battling with whether or not to go back to work you know I know it depends on the type of manager that they have but I think it's so important to have the conversation it's so important to 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 have the conversation in a safe space because there are I only found this out recently that there are systems in place for employers in terms of making it easier for people returning to work after a cancer diagnosis but many employers wouldn't know that I only started to look at that because of my scenario mm -hmm. um, I'd encourage any person to have that conversation but also to do some deep soul searching absolutely because you don't have to go back and I and I, I understand so back to the two ladies that I met at your event I understand the driver that made one lady say she has to go back to work. Of course, you've got financial commitments and you can't be irresponsible about that. But that's the other reason why I think entrepreneurship has to be part of the key. Because as an entrepreneur, I am now in, yes, it's scary, but I'm in control of my, of my income. I'm in control of how much energy I put out or not. And so I think the conversation is it's part of the healing you've got to have the conversation with the with your employers you've got to have that conversation with yourself to find out why do i have to go back do i have to go back because of the money or do i have to go back because i want to because i almost feel like having overcome you know cancer at this age i'm, I'm 45 having overcome um cancer at this stage i almost feel like i've got a second chance to live like I, I have the opportunity to live my life on my terms. When I think back, I don't think I was living, I was happy, I was fulfilled, but I think I was doing all of those things, not really for my reasons. Now I'm doing what I want to do for my reasons without any guilt. I love that. Definitely where I stand too. Toro. I really just echo that. For me, I was going to say, do the soul searching, work out what you want to do because 
for me, it was really working out what my purpose and my passion was. And that having that cancer made me, re especially that young, it made me really readdress, okay, I don't want to just go and make loads of money. I want to be a contribution to this world. So when these things happen with cancer and other you know, diseases and stuff, it, it, it's a common place for people to do self-development, self-reflection. But I really think that if you just stick to the status quo, nothing can change. And there's sometimes a reason why these things happen to us for us to, you know, really learn about ourselves and to go on and do things that we, you know, we need to go and do. And I think for me, particularly the second time around, because I think the first time around, I was, I was just maybe a bit young. I was just such a people pleaser. It's made me stop pleasing yeah. people. And I really have had to like work so hard at that this time and really follow what I'm passionate about and what I love with work, family, friends, you know, all of those things and just to really follow my own heart and that's not being selfish it's about self-care first then yeah. everything else and I have to remind myself every single day of that like mm -hmm. I really have to do like what's important to me and not think oh I need to do that because so-and-so asked me I don't want to let them down blah 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 and I think that's really the biggest thing whether that applies to work or to personal relationships or other you know commitments that you have really just think about what it is you really want because it is a second chance absolutely Oh, I love that. Ladies, thank you so, so much for joining me this evening, for joining us this evening. Um, this is a very, very inspiring talk. And I can actually see this going, um, you know, you two being part of, you know, our future stuff that we've got coming up at the Tate Gallery when it's rescheduled for next year. It's opening. I got an email saying it's opening. Oh, okay. This is good news. I shall email you with it. <laughs> um, so yeah, this is the types of things that we want to talk about. You know, I can see you coming down doing a nutrition workshop for us all and showing us how to prepare our food. I can see Claudine up there giving us, you know, some talks and some motivational speaking and getting us up and, you know, restoring our confidence. And this is what it's about, you know, this kind of sisterhood that we've got with, you know, the Black Women Rising ladies, you know, we're, everyone calls us like a force. But what it is, it's the overall arching message is about inspiring each other with our stories it's a peer-to-peer -peer. it's not people looking down on us and telling us what to do it's a peer-to-peer -peer support group and it's stories like these that these women and our women are going to hear that's going to inspire them and to hear it from two people have gone through and um, the journeys that you have to see you triumph before your diagnosis and continue to triumph after these are the messages we want to get across to people that there is life after cancer and life through cancer as well. And I could hear Saima at the back of my head right now saying the same thing, what you both said around self-care and putting yourself first. She used to say it with lots of swear words and things like that. She's always But um, you know, this is the same message she would say, and it's crazy. We've got four ladies right now on here saying the same thing, therapy works putting yourself first works yeah. so we're hoping that we can drum that across to everybody and, and that message that we like to preach thanks so much ladies where can people find you because you've got blogs websites people are going to want to find you we do put it in the podcast notes but please tell people where they can find you immediately claudine um so i have a website claudinereads.com and from there i'm on linkedin um instagram facebook um, you can either access all of those from my website, which is claudinereed.com, or you can find me on the respective platforms under my name, claudinereed.com. Fantastic. Brilliant. Um, I, um, I've got my website, theurbankitchen.co.uk, and I'm on Instagram as the Urban Kitchen and Twitter as at Urban Kitchen. And 
essentially, and also on the Black Women Rising, because I think that I featured some of the things there. Oh, but yeah, I also yeah. wanted to say, like, thank you so much, Leanne, because I think what you do is so incredible, so inspiring, and you are a true leader with showing people what, that you can create newly after cancer. So it's not just, you know, us, the two of us, but it, it's you too, and we wouldn't all be here together if you weren't there to lead us as well. Absolutely. Can I echo that 100%, um, Toral? I think, you know, I, I, I'm here because I found Black Women Rise and I was doing some research. I was trying to find, like, I need to speak to some other women before, you know, I let them do this mastectomy. And I think I, I had found you, Leanne, and then my brother sent me um, your Instagram um, handle to make sure you connect with this woman because yeah. she looks like she knows what she's doing. <laughs> it's coincidental, it all happens. But, you know, I really echo what Toral has said. I think when I first met you and heard your story, but what you had gathered together, how you had garnered these women. And, and that was the other thing, right? Your photographic exhibition. I'd never seen a mastectomy before. Yeah. So when I saw it, I was like, whoa, is that what I'm going to look like? But yeah. it gave me, it kind of gave me hope in a really weird yeah. kind of way. Um, it made, it almost took away the edge like these women, because I could see some of them. When I saw the exhibition, I saw some of the women and they're normal people, right, Claudine? You're not going to be lopsided. You're not going to, you know, look horrific like I thought I was. But these are normal women making the most out of their life. And I think you just helped to bring that together. And you made it so much more, you made the process, you made the journey so much more. It wasn't easy, but knowing that there are other women who have experienced a similar um, situation and knowing that you could have that conversation with them, that I think makes the journey doable not easy but doable that's the key isn't it yeah well it's just important i think just to bring people together and i think we're all the same i think all of us because we've had these working lives because i say to people i wouldn't be able to run the charity if i didn't have my job that my yeah. business that i ran before because it gave me the people skills the people understanding of adaptation around people and things like that in order to run it otherwise i would have i would have packed it in by now and i still all the time want to pack it in do you know what i mean i get my moments but you know it was that about the feeling of community because that's what business is isn't it it's running a community and i think for me that's always been and it's meeting people like yourselves who who give me that inspiration to say, no, we all need to come together because we're better together. Absolutely. You know, we've all got our own lives. Of course we do. We're all different people, but we're better together. We're stronger together. Mm. And I think that's why the project's making the difference it is now, you know, especially when we're talking to bigger charities and they're now hearing our voices is because we're all together and we're finding solace. It's not easy. And we've still got our own journey. It's a very lonesome journey, but, just having that kind of togetherness makes it a little bit easier. Yeah. So I'm glad that you guys understand that. Thank you. Thank, thank you. And thank you, Charlotte. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. And I just, you know, echoing that, like, finally, people are listening to yeah, you know, people of colour are, you know, our voices haven't been heard. We have poor outcomes. Yeah. But finally, you know, we're going to see some changes. And I know that you're not going to continue that work. We really are. Believe me. All right, ladies. Thank you so much. Take care. Lots of love. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.